Valley Best Sportsbook App Studio. This is 1350 ESPN, Des Moines Sports Leader. A Des Moines radio group station. It's showtime! Hurry, hurry, step right up! Introducing the star of our show, his name is Wicked! So without further ado, I bring to you Wicked! 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 Get down to business! This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket from the Valley Bet Sportsbook App Studio. Get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app. On a Friday with actual football on the horizon, pretty excited about this weekend, even if it is kind of fake football. It is college for, uh, excuse me, it's just a uh, preseason football. We good to go over there, Pete? All right, cool. <laughs> Everything okay over there? This is going great so far. This, this is, is great. See, our, our producer, Pete, is going back to school at Mizzou. Mm-hmm. When do you leave to go back to school? Monday. So this is it. This is this, your swan song. This is it. This is how you want to go out? This, this, is, how we, this is how we have to go out. <laughs> this is how we have to go out. Stumbling and fumbling out of the gate. Yes. Uh, well, fantastic. We will talk more about your budding radio career before we get out of here uh, in a little bit. But we have actual football this weekend. Okay, we have sort of have football this weekend. We have preseason football. We have been talking about every week the last five or six weeks we get into one of the big five here in Des Moines. Whether it's the Packers, the Cowboys, the Bears, uh, there are a lot of Vikings fans around here, and of course, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I wanted to get somebody on to talk more Chiefs football as camp is open, as Patrick Mahomes is doing Mahomes things down in Kansas City. Ron Kopp is my guest from ArrowheadPride.com. Ron, thank you so much for the time, my friend. Appreciate it. Um, I was... You know, you, you get somebody on like yourself on a radio program like this, and you're like, all right, got to start dissecting. You know, at the Bears, it's like Justin Fields, Andy Dalton, the, the Kirk Cousins stuff up in Minnesota. When it comes to Kansas City, what's the concern going into camp? Like, what are you guys focusing on at all going into camp? Well, the, the big thing for sure is, is we all know the offensive line was not up to par in the Super Bowl and last year towards the end of the year as well with all the injuries and it's been really exciting to kind of get all these new faces and get all these rookies getting on the starting offensive line. Chiefs, right now, they're on they're on uh, plan to, to start three rookies uh, preceding week one, at least. Uh, center Creed Humphrey, the second-round pick. Trey Smith, the sixth-round pick at right guard. And Lucas Niang, who opted out last year, uh, you know, didn't play last year due to COVID, but was a rookie last year. So, yeah, that's three new guys, and, and that's kind of exciting along with the, the trade for, for Orlando Brown Jr. and signing Joe Tooney. It's just cool to see a whole new group of offensive line. Last year, training camp or the training camp we had with COVID, there was no, not a lot of new faces. It was a running back tour, and this year there's a lot you know, more new guys in here and, and, and big guys, big names. So it is exciting in that sense to kind of see how the offensive line uh, gets going, gets, gets figured up uh, with the, the new guys in this year. Camp's been open for like 10 days. Have you noticed this offensive line of all these different pieces gelling? Yeah, so I think that they definitely have been. But the one, the for one thing is they they're going against a pretty loaded defensive line right now. The Chiefs, <laughs> the Chiefs have a lot of good players on the D line. They added Jaron Reed from Seattle over the offseason, who who's definitely looked the part in training camp so far. He's been a stud. Chris Jones moving out to defensive end. You know the the longtime defensive tackle, and he's still he, he man. There's not a lot of defensive ends in the NFL that are going to be his size 
And those offensive tackles, you know, Orlando Brown and, and the rookie Lucas Yang, like I mentioned, going against him every snap, man, that, that's going to be a challenge, and that's really going to going to get you going iron sharper iron, as they like to say uh, at the Chiefs. So, yeah, that, they are definitely gelling as well as you can because they're going against a really good defensive line, and, and they're getting as challenged as, as you would imagine in training camp. Talking to Ron Kopp, you can read his work at arrowheadpride.com here on 1350 ESPN in Des Moines. Uh, talking Chiefs, they've got the Niners tomorrow in preseason game number one. You, you mentioned a running back, and I do want to bring up Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who game, came out of the game or came out of the year last year like gangbusters in that opening night game and then kind of had a very mixed bag. Where is he at in his second camp, and how much expectation really is there for a running back in Andy Reid's system? Yeah, there's high expectations, right? We've seen we've seen big things from running backs, whether it's Kareem Hunt here or Brian Westbrook back in Philly or even Jamal Charles before Mahomes got here. So there was big expectations. And I do think one thing, and, and he's admitted it, Clyde, as well, is, is last offseason was just so weird for all the rookies, and they didn't get on-field stuff until training camp. And, and even then, you know, there's only so much you can do. I don't think they got him into the passing game as much as, as they would have liked to as a rookie. If they had that full offseason, maybe – we would have seen more uh, unique plays in terms of him lining up as a slot receiver or him just being uh, run out on routes, longer routes than just the dump off that a usual running back gets. So I think that's what you're going to see this year. I think Clyde's going to get a lot more opportunity in the passing game. But then also, as we're talking about the offensive line, just that being improved will help him. You know, more lanes will be open for him in the running game. I think he's, he's on set for a really big year. I think he's going to be a really productive running back this year. So should I take him high in my fantasy draft? Is that what you're saying? I would recommend so. Yeah, I know last year I think he was taken pretty high, and, and most people probably weren't happy with that. But uh, I think now you're going to get him at a really good value because I think he's slept on a little bit now. So, yeah, I would absolutely – I'd recommend it. Uh, you can put it on me if he, if he oh, doesn't do well. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Hit up those message boards, arrowheadpride.com, and slam yeah. Ron if you draft CEH <laughs> and he doesn't have a good year. Uh, it, you know, I can ask – and, again, this goes back to – and I'm sure you get this all the time and, you know – how good is Mahomes and the weapons and the offense? I guess my question about the offense with, with Tyreek Hill and Mahomes and Kelsey and CEH, can this offense get much better? So that is a good question, right? Because we've seen 2018, the ceiling of it, that happened with Mahomes' first year. That happened a lot of the reason because the defense was so bad, and they kind of had to be that way. They had to put up all these points. And I do think the defense is solidified to a point under Spags where they don't need to have all these firework plays. So in terms of stats and, and, and productiveness, I don't think they can be much better than maybe they were in the 2018 season. But I think just from a, in terms of the efficiency of the offense and, and getting big plays and chunk plays in, in efficient manners and not going three and out and being able to run the ball, I think in that sense the offense could be a lot better. Um, I think the, the offensive line's improvement will help receivers like uh, the reserve receivers like the Marcus Robinson or Byron Pringle and McCole Hardman all get open better. You know, they've all kind of struggled in their careers to be guys that can separate themselves. But when you have better pass protection, you have, Mahomes can sit back there a little longer. Those guys will get open too. So that eliminates the need for a, a big-time talent like Sammy Watkins at wide receiver too. So I do think the team, the efficiency of the offense will could be better, can be better, and will be better uh, potentially this year. But in terms of stats, in terms of putting up the points like they did in 2018, I just don't think the defense will will uh, be bad enough for them to have to do that. Ron Kopp joining us from ArrowheadPride.com, talking Chiefs. He's their lead analyst over there. You can follow him on Twitter at Ron underscore Kopp. That's K-O-P-P. I'm Mike Wicked here on 1350 ESPN. 
Who's the third best pass catcher that the Chiefs have? Well, that, that, that's it's a debate between two people, and and we're all hoping it's McCole Hardman this year as Chiefs fans. You want to see him take that leap as a third-year receiver, uh, go into this year and really you know go from just being a guy that's set up to make big plays, you know, only really makes big plays when Andy Reid sets him up to do it, and actually make the big plays himself, you know, separate on a route and, and beat a corner one on one. But the other guy, and, and we've already talked about him, Edward Solera, I think he could all of a sudden be that third target in terms of how many targets he gets throughout the season. He could be the third in line behind Kelsey and Hill. And the screen game, and like I mentioned earlier, just just different, just longer routes, more intermediate routes. We didn't see as much, uh, you know, like wheel routes out of the backfield going up the sideline. We, we've seen that with Andy in the past, but just not as much with Edward Solera last year. So I think Edward Solera has a chance to maybe get the third most targets on the team. But I could definitely see Hardman challenging him for that. And also, I think Hardman would get the third most yards just because I think his, a lot of his catches will be bigger plays, just you know, gain more yards and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, I'd say between those two, hopefully it's Hardman, though. You know, I was, I was working in Kansas City a couple of years ago, and I remember the, the, the Fire Sutton, Fire Bob Sutton campaigns that were going on, and everybody wanted him gone, and Andy Reid made the switch and brought in Spagnola. And, and the defense, actually, for the first six games of Spag's first season two years ago was statistically worse than some of those under defensive coordinator Bob Sutton. But then, about a year and a half ago, a season and a half ago, everything started to change. Whether that had to be the acquisition of Tyron Matthew or Frank Clark or whatever, what has been the biggest difference in Spag's defense from the Bob Sutton defense that plagued Kansas City Chiefs fans for so long? Well, yeah, yeah. and Chiefs fans will know this when I say it. I, I think it's, the big thing is really just adjustments, just the defensive staff being able to adjust to the offense and not just run what they want to run. I think that was a big problem with Sutton is, you know, whatever you were running on offense, he was just going to run his, you know, his man-to-man on the, on the outside, uh, not a lot of changes with, with who, what personnel's in there. Spags will throw a lot of different stuff at you. He'll have players in, in different positions. He'll mix around the defensive line a lot to where we see guys like Chris Jones play both on the inside the outside and vice versa and other players too. And even in the secondary too, having a guy like Tyron Matthew you know, move around all over the place. And, hey, you know, Sutton didn't really have a, a Tyron Matthew at the end of that, that run. He had a, an Eric Berry towards the beginning of it, but obviously towards the end he didn't have that kind of guy. So you could say that Spags has gotten a little more talent maybe uh, since, you know, they've overhauled it pretty good for Spagnola, and, and, and the talent on the defense has definitely been playing well. But I just think Spagnola just overall is just such a better, you know, defensive strategizer and, and being able to take away, uh, you know, opposing offenses. You know, Brady has always said that, he doesn't have a good time playing Spagnuolo, that kind of thing. <laughs> I, I think I think Spags has just always been a better strategizer than than Sutton. That's where it comes down to. Ron, this this game coming up tomorrow against San Francisco. I mean, I, it's a preseason game. You you can't take a ton out of it. But who are some surprise guys that are on the hot seat right now that may lose their job when we get to cut down day in a few weeks? Yeah, so I think one guy in, in Chiefs Kingdom that, that we've all kind of been looking at uh, because of who we who we drafted in recent years, but Ben Neiman has played a big role in this team. He's been the, the linebacker in dying defenses, which means there's only one linebacker on the field, and it's more of a pass coverage situation. He's been that main guy, but the last two drafts, the Chiefs have drafted uh, a linebacker in each draft in the second round, Willie Gay Jr. and Nick Bolton. And at some point, they need to start getting more reps and snaps. And, and there's only so many linebackers that play in today's NFL. There's not a lot of three linebacker sets anymore. It's a lot of two linebacker and one linebacker. So you want to get those guys on the field, plus Anthony Hitchens. I think that kind of leaves Neiman as the odd man out. And those young linebackers that I mentioned have made a lot of plays in training camp so far. 
they have stood out, especially Willie Gay. He's made a lot of plays and coverage. I just think that that's you need their athleticism, their superior athleticism on the field. Neiman has been a solid guy, but there's a lot of holes in his game, and, and the dime defense has really had some trouble in the, in the past few years um, because of uh, some of his play. So I think he's someone on the hot seat, and these young linebackers could push him to be either down the depth chart or maybe even off the team. I, I don't even know why I'm asking this, but how's Mahomes looked? <laughs> why, well, do I, why do it, I even bother with a question like that? <laughs> it is funny, though, because there, there was a little period, uh, I think last week now, I think it was early last week, that the Chiefs fans, or maybe not Chiefs fans, but just Twitter fans and, and you know NFL fans that heard that Mahomes had three picks in one practice, and I was actually at the practice. And, yeah, there was, there was one bad throw. There was another miscommunication with the receiver. And, you know, it, it happens. But, you know, that's the thing with Mahomes, man. You know he's just trying stuff out. You know, he's just trying to feel it out. And they've made pl- plenty of big plays in camp. I think Tyreek Hill's been the star of camp. He's just been all over the place. Him and Mahomes have been dynamite together. And, yeah, Mahomes looks great. I, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just excited to see it in the regular season. It's, 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 uh, you know, it's not as fun to talk about as, as training camp reps as it is as big plays in the pre- regular season. Who would win that 70-yard race if we took a 70 between Usain Bolt and Tyreek Hill? Who would win? Not the 100, because I think we know Usain would win that. And Tyreek's quick out of the gate for a 40. But who do you think wins a 70-yard race between Usain Bolt and the Cheetah? Yeah, I'm glad they, they found that little uh, center point, right, between 140. That <laughs> was kind of cool. Dan Patrick made that up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think I'd – man, I, I want to say Take Tyrese, off but... your red and white glasses for a moment <laughs> yeah. here, Ron. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I got to be realistic. I think you're saying in 70 yards, those those long legs and and all of that, he'll he'll pick it up by then, and he'll dust. <laughs> I, I think he'll he'll get Tyreek. Tyreek, like you said, so quick, so explosive off the ball. Maybe could have get him in the 40 yards, but 70 yards that's that's too long. I think you're saying would get him. Hey, Ron, thank you so much for the time, man. I appreciate it. Arrowheadpride.com. Read Ron's work and the rest of the staff over there. They are hardworking guys. They are one of, if not the best Chiefs website out there. Arrowheadpride.com. And follow Ron on Twitter at Ron underscore cop. That's K-O-P-P. Ron, we'll do it again down the road. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you. Thank you so much. That's Ron Cop Again, Arrowheadpride.com. And on Twitter at Ron underscore cop. Why do we even ask? How's Mahomes look? Like, it matters. Like, like all of a sudden, Andy Reid's going to be like, oh, well. You know, Mahomes threw a couple of picks in training camp back on August 14th. Matt Moore might be the guy now. Time for Chad Henney. <laughs> let's let's go. Is Henny the backup? Is that do we know the is, is Henny the backup? Matt Moore's gone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think Henny Henny's the guy. Henny's the one that they went they let Henny throw that fourth and one pass mm-hmm. against Cleveland in the playoffs last year, which was ballsy as hell to go ahead and do. And he completed it on a dime. And then Mahomes came back, and then they wound up in the Super Bowl. And, of course, as you know, we, we started there with Ron. The whole offseason, you look at a team addressing its needs. The Kansas City Chiefs did a better job addressing their needs than any team in the National Football League by adding all of the offensive line pieces that they did. I mean, boom, that was their only weakness, which was exposed by Tampa Bay in the Super Bowl. I mean, if I had to bet your paycheck, Pete, yeah. if I had to bet your check on something, on a team to win the Super Bowl, as much as I want to wave my Green Bay Packers flag in the air, I would probably at this point put it on, on Mahomes. How would, do you not? Tom Brady. Every single those I, Chargers I know. is coming back. I know. Every single one. I know. I, hot, I have two rules in sports. Have I told you my two rules in sports? I don't think so. All right, I'll tell you my two rules in sports. 
One, never bet on Gonzaga. Doesn't That's matter true. if they're 31 and yeah. 0 or they're 30 and 2. They're the number one seed. Their Ken Palm rating is off the chart. Never put your money on Gonzaga to win the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They're always going to let you down. If you put Gonzaga in the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big 12 or whatever, they lose nine times a year. Yeah. Uh, the other thing is never bet against Tom Brady. Yep. And what happened last year? Gonzaga lost and Brady won. It's just a certainty. If Brady gets to a title game, bet on him. More times than not, he's going to win you money. And if Gonzaga's in the title more times than not, meaning all of the times, they're not going to win you any money in your even little they, bracket. Even if they go 30-0 and 0 Doesn't matter. going into it, they just... Man, do you yeah. see what they did out in the Mountain Big West Sky Conference or whatever? <laughs> yeah, you know, I did. They beat Iowa once. That's okay, true. great, big deal. You know, they, uh, they, they took care of Texas A&M in Maui. <laughs> okay, that's great. See, see what the, if they can get six wins in a row in March. They can't. They never do. They got close. And they're, I think they're preseason number one. They had a top five recruiting class. Yeah, they got Chet Holmgren. What does that mean to me? He's the number one player. In the country? Well, in that class. No. Oh. Where's he from? Spokane? Uh, he's from where Anthony Edwards is from. Minnesota. I forgot the name. Minneapolis? Of the somewhere in Minneapolis? It's, yeah, I think it's somewhere in Minneapolis. I don't know the specific name right now. It's Pete's it's send-off show. You're not. You got to stay sharp on your final I know, show. I know. Pete's going back to Mizzou starting next week, so we send him off. Uh, we're going to find out what Pete's aspirations are for his <laughs> radio career. Also, feel a dreams night last night coming up next. Got to hear Kevin Costner. The amazing scene that it was. We'll do that on the other side here on 1350 ESPN. This is Wicket's World on 1350 ESPN. From the BallyBet Sportsbook App Studio. Get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app. Wicked World here on 1350 ESPN. Again, my thanks to Ron Kopp for joining me uh, from arrowheadpride.com. He's a good guy. I haven't had him on before. Never spoke to him on the radio before, so just read his work over at that website. So uh, good to have him on as we actually get NFL football coming up tomorrow, sort of. Like, Pete, are you going to be cashing in or sitting down to watch all the preseason action tomorrow? I'm going to try. Okay. I'm going to try. Channel is everything on. Is anything on national TV? Is it all going to be streamed and illegally streamed and put Most, on more than likely yeah. NFL Network? Okay. Uh, we'll run through the. Listen, mm-hmm. the only thing that I'm even interested in this will not surprise anybody is seeing Jordan Love play. You know, I'm a, a, a huge Packers fan, and I'm on Team Jordan Love. I'm on Team Aaron Rodgers. It, I just understand the drama that this season is going to bring. And I don't know if I've ever actually seen a backup quarterback have pressure going into week one of the preseason. Think about it. I mean, it, no matter what, and Aaron Rodgers sucked as a preseason quarterback back in 2006 and 2007. No matter what, people are going to scrutinize Jordan Love with whatever he does tomorrow night against Houston mm-hmm. because everyone knows this is in law likelihood the last year for Rodgers. And Love, if he doesn't play up here, if he doesn't play great, people are going to scrutinize Jordan Love, saying, ah, see, couldn't handle the pressure of a preseason. 
he didn't have a preseason last year. None of these guys did. And, you know, is he Justin Herbert? Probably not. But that's the only thing. I don't know if there's a player that's going to have more attention on him tomorrow night in all of the preseason than Jordan Love. It's not going to be Chad Henney. It's not Derek David Carr. It's not Matt Stafford in, in L.A. I think the pressure is on him when we get to the regular season. I don't even think Stafford's playing in that game uh, coming up tomorrow. I don't think McVay plays his preseason or his starters in the preseason, much like Aaron Rodgers is not going to play. So Jordan Love will get all of the snaps for all of the preseason games. It, preseason football just is. It's on my TV. Mm-hmm. That's it. So we need to really stop analyzing a lot of it because preseason is fake. Preseason doesn't matter. Preseason is for guys... 48 and 49 and 50 and 52 on the roster. That's what the preseason's for. You know, if you're a Chiefs fan, you're looking at special teamers trying to make the team. If you're a Bears fan, this has nothing to do with Fields and Dalton. Fields is your quarterback for the next decade, hopefully, if you're a Bears fan. Even if he plays like crap tomorrow night, who do the Bears have? Doesn't matter. They've got the Dolphins. You know, with the preseason football... It actually bleeds into the regular season so much because starters don't play. I usually look at the first four weeks of the NFL season as still as part of the preseason. So really, it doesn't matter if you're a Browns fan or you're a, a Chiefs fan, a Steelers fan, a Minnesota Vikings fan, whatever. Your team will not start to look like itself until about week two or week three. And it's always, you see this on Center all the time. Which undefeated team do you think has the best chance of going to the Super Bowl? And they're 2-0. and Like, calm down. Relax, (laughs) all right? Everything's going to balance itself out. You know, if the Dolphins start out 2-0, we're not putting them in the same category as the Kansas City Chiefs. If the Philadelphia Eagles are 2-0, you're not putting them in the same category as Green Bay. You're just not. So we always overreact. And the uh, the only thing worse than week one overreaction is any kind of preseason overreaction. And we sure as hell got that yesterday because people are... The show that's on right before us here on ESPN, the national show. I'm going to tell you why Mac Jones outplayed Cam Newton. Oh, my God. You really think that Mac Jones is going to beat, no matter what Cam Newton does, you really think Bill Belichick's going to give the starting job to Mac Jones no. over Cam Newton? It's not going to happen. He might make a change by week six because Cam Newton sucks, but that's not happening in August or early September. Barring injury or COVID or whatever, Cam Newton is going to be your starter. So, you know, these, these games, they're, they're fun for us because it's just football on TV. Like that first game, the Hall of Fame game. Yeah. That was an ass game. That was terrible. We talked about it last week. It was almost unwatchable. Yes. But I had it on till the final zero. Yeah. I kept it on because it's football and because I love football. Mm-hmm. And I love the NFL. I saw a buddy of mine. He works for a, uh, a national gambling show. His name is Ryan Horvath. And he, and he works for a, uh, a Bet HQ or some national show out of D.C. Mm-hmm. And I saw him tweet out, they're going to give you the best bets this weekend in preseason football. You're betting on preseason games? I mean, I hope you're not going way out there with your bets on preseason games. Like, I hope you're warming up with your, your preseason betting. Yeah. Kind of like the players are warming up with their preseason betting. I would not bet the over in any preseason game. <laughs> no. I would not. You're I right. would just not go that's, there. That's Pete's gambling that's tip. That's my gambling tip right there. Bally don't bet, bet the over. The app. Bet, don't <laughs> bet the overs. Because <laughs> some of this football is pure garbage. It's awful. And you're, 
your starter, whoever that is, if it's Andy Dalton. I don't know if Dalton's getting the snaps tomorrow or not. Matt Ryan, I have no idea. They might play a series. Mm -hmm. That's it. And every spread is always one, two, or three. You're never going to have a nine-point spread mm -hmm. in a preseason game. Every game is always a, a, a toss of the coin. Try to think, what's the like, three-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, two-and-a-half, two-and-a-half? I'm looking at all the spreads. There's a six-point spread. Ooh, six! Wow. Buccaneers minus six at home against the Bengals. <laughs> Who's going to take... <laughs> Oh, my God. <laughs> but you know that game will have a lot of action. It will. People love it, man. People love the NFL. People love the fantasy aspect. People love the betting aspect. So many more states like us here in Iowa. You have the ability to bet on everything. I mean, Colts minus one and a half against the Panthers. Ooh, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do with that in the regular season, much less the preseason, because mm. I have no idea what the Colts quarterback is going to be. Um, and I don't know if I can trust Sam Darnold. Like, on paper, that says that game is going to be 9-6. Yeah. That's what that game looks like to me. Over-under is 34.5. Don't bet the over. Don't, don't, don't bet, don't the, bet over. the over. We'll get to Field of Dreams coming up on the other side. You're going to hear from Kevin Costner. You'll hear from the hero of last night. And want to know what you thought of the Field of Dreams out in Dyersville. This is Wicket's World on 1350 ESPN. From the Bally Bet Sportsbook App Studio, get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app. Thirteen fifty ESPN, it's Wicket's World. I'm Mike Wicket here in Des Moines. Don't forget ESPNDesMoines.com. If you missed our interview earlier with Ron Kopp from uh, ArrowheadPride.com, it will be up there later on today. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and, of course, follow us on Twitter at ESPNDSM. So coming up in a little bit, Joe Wieskamp, Luca Garza making their NBA Summer League debuts. We'll tell you how it's going so far. Plus, big news if you're an Iowa State football fan. A new record was set yesterday. We'll tell you what that is. But... Field of Dreams game, last night in Dyersville, Iowa. And I'm not going to lie. I was like, all right, let's see what this looks like. Because I think it's cool. I think it's very Iowa. I think it is ours. I think the movie in 1989 was so big. It was nominated for Best Picture and Best Screenplay. And then I was, I don't think I realized just what a good job and how much of the feels. Is that the right way to put it? All the feels. feels. I had all the feels all watching the feels. it. All the feels watching it. When introductions were going on yesterday, and Kevin Costner, who was the star of the, of the film, when Costner brought the Yankees and the White Sox out of the corn in the outfield, which had to be really weird for the players. You know, they're so used to luxury everything, luxury accommodations, and it's like, okay, follow this actor through this cornfield. <laughs> Taking stage directions. That, that's... That's how we want to get you onto the field. Uh, but it looked really cool, and it brought back all the feelings of the first time you saw Field of Dreams. And then Kevin Costner stepped to the microphone, and I thought his speech was spot on. Thirty years ago, on the other side of that corn, we filmed a movie that stood the test of time. Thanks to that enduring impact that that little movie had, it's allowed us to come here again. But now we're on a field that Major League Baseball made. It's perfect. We've kept our promise. Major League Baseball has kept its promise. The dream's still alive. There's probably just one question to answer. 
Is this heaven? I don't think I heard you. Is this heaven? Yes, it is. I want to know what the right answer to that was. Because in the movie, of course, it's, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. No, it's Iowa. And, and, and Costner's out there, because you can hear the crowd yelling, no, this is because they want him to play along. Mm-hmm. I think Iowans would have been happier if he said, is this heaven? And he would have said, no, it's Iowa. I think, I, I think Iowans would have lost their poo. Yeah. Everybody in that crowd that is from the state of Iowa, because how proud people are from Iowa, they would have lost it. But still, he called it perfect. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was an emotional kind of moment, especially for, you know, they did a whole, there's a, a, a conversation that he had with Bob Costas. There's this discussion of this field and this movie and, and all that. It was cool. Don't get me wrong. But then the baseball game itself happened. And I've seen thousands of home runs in my life, all right? Mm-hmm. Whether at games, watching games, whatever. I've seen thousands of home runs hit. A home run ball into a cornfield just hits a little different. It just feels a little bit different because, they're, you know, it's a cornfield. What else am I supposed <laughs> to say? <laughs> Uh, and, and the drama that was building. Like, I'm not a Yankee fan. I was born to hate the Yankees. Mm-hmm. I'm not a White Sox fan. I got no dog in the fight, you know, in, in, the, in the American League Central right now. But I was just watching it for the entertainment value. And there was plenty of it. There were home runs. There were nice plays. There was some decent pitching. There was some bad pitching uh, in this yesterday. And you had Giancarlo Stanton and you had Aaron Judge both go yard in the top of the ninth. And you're like, well, there it is. The Yankees got the home runs that they needed to go up 8-7. And I'm sorry, to go up what? What was the final? Yeah, 8-7. 8-7. And then in the bottom half, you had the drama building. You had a runner on for Tim Anderson. And then Tim Anderson did this. So an opportunity for the Yankees to be just one behind the Red Sox as they try to beat the White Sox. Anderson. Joe Buck on Fox. You can't... It's such a cliche to say you couldn't script it any better. And it's cheesy to say you couldn't script it any better because the game was being played next to where a film was made about a game being played on that field. Mm -hmm. But you really can't script it any better than for... A bottom of the ninth walk-off home run to end what was maybe the coolest regular season baseball game ever. Yeah. The setting, the meaning, the feeling, the history, the two teams, the, the anticipation. It got put off last year because of COVID. So much went into this game. And for it all to erupt with a walk-off home run, White Sox win 9-8. Like, it was really cool. It really, really was. Yeah. Here is, uh, you're going to hear a couple of voices in a row here. You're going to hear from Tim Anderson, who hit the game-winning home run. And then you're going to hear from Yankees manager Aaron Boone, Yankees slugger Giancarlo Stanton, and then Miguel Cairo, who's filling in for Tony La Russa as manager yesterday of the White Sox. To be able to make a memory like this is definitely leaving the mark. Fans came to see the show. And, uh, you know, we gave them a show tonight. You know, once I made contact, I knew it was over. I knew it was out. And, you know, being able to walk it off is definitely one of my best moments of my career, for sure. That's probably the greatest setting for a baseball game that I've, I've ever been a part of. It was... It was awesome. That's definitely up there on the special experiences that I've had in, in baseball. It was a dream come true. It was 
fulfill dreams and that dream you know today came true and uh it was an awesome day now i can tell you there was it was a really good day well yeah he's gonna be in a good mood because his team won mm-hmm. <laughs> can i share you a little, little story sure so we have uh we had some company over last night okay and the company left and my wife and i watching the game she goes to bed she didn't care about sports she did it for the Iowa thing. You know, she's mm-hmm. from here. She went to Valley High School down the road in West Des Moines. She went to Iowa State. And so I'm sitting there watching it, and I watch the two home runs that get hit by the Yankees. And it's about 9.45 at this point. And I host a morning show on Laser 103.3 here in, in Des Moines. Like, that's my day job. And I get up at 4.20 in the morning. So at 9.45, after the two home runs, I'm like, I'm going to go to bed. Mm-hmm. So I go get ready for bed. I brush my teeth, set my clothes out. I get dressed in the living room because I wake up so early. And I get into bed. And, you know, I just check your phone. You got to see if there's anything going on. It's how some people wind down. I missed the walk-off home run. I saw the walk-off home run on my phone, on Twitter, in bed because I thought, that's it. The Yankee magic is there. They're going to take this thing. And there's no way the White Sox are able to come back. And I watch. I, I missed the drama from my television. Have you, have you ever done anything like that, where you watch a game, an entire thing, and you leave the room for one second, and then you miss the game-winning three or the game-winning goal, or in this case, the game-winning walk-off home run? I do remember one time I went to homecoming, <laughs> homecoming dance. It was the night. It was a week ago. No, it was a week. Yeah, it was a week ago. <laughs> it was the Iowa Penn State night game. Yeah. And Iowa was up, and all the defense had to do was make a stop. And I'm like, oh, we got this. Don't worry yeah, about it. Yeah, sure. Every Iowa fan knows that. All we got to do is make a stop. Halfway into homecoming, I check my phone, and Penn State gets a walk-off touchdown. <laughs> now, I am dreading going home because I know my dad watched that whole game, and I know that he's sitting on that chair upset. So I go home. I'm like, hey, Dad. Hey. Hey. Hi. See, you, if you, and you can't stay out late because at that time you were a teenager. You yeah. can't stay out late because you'll be in more trouble. You'll make him even more mad. Exactly. How was he? He was content at that point. <laughs> <laughs> enough time. Did he have a enough, couple of beers? Enough time, time yeah. Luckily, that happened early in homecoming, the homecoming dance. So <laughs> I came home at the later point of the, of the game. <laughs> That's hilarious. I one time watched an entire, it was like Flyers, Maple Leafs. Back when I cared a lot more about hockey than I do now. But we, were, we would watch, buddy of, buddies and I would watch hockey every night. And I was watching this game. And we were at one, we were one house watching it, and this is back when I was like 21, so you could, we could drink late into the day. I can't do that anymore. But we'd be at one house, and then at the end of regulation, we're like, okay, let's go to the bar. And we watched the next overtime at the bar. We're like, okay, let's go to another house. And then we got to that house, and in the third overtime, I got up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> oh, no. And I missed the game-winning goal that oh, I spent no. five and a half hours watching the damn hockey game. <laughs> And I missed the game-winning goal of that playoff game. And, you know, I don't care about the, the Maple Leafs or the Flyers or whatever, but I'm like, really? All of that, all that time invested, mm-hmm. and I missed how it, how it ended. So I missed the Tim Anderson home run live last night, but I've obviously I watched it on my phone and over and over again, and it was so cool. By the way, the Cubs are rumored to be the team that is going to play when they bring this back next year. Isn't it Cubs-Cardinals? Did they make that announcement? I don't think they made the announcement, but I think that's going to be like the big... That's the big rumor. Cardinals, Cubs, field of... Let me Google this real quick. Because that would be two big fan bases. I don't know how big St. Louis fan base is in Des Moines, but 
I mean, Cubs. There's there's a there's a good amount of Cardinals fans around here. I would think so. Obviously, the Cubs are the team with the I Cubs downtown, uh, and we've got the Cubs tonight. We have all the Cubs games here on 1350 ESPN. Cubs and Fish, uh, 5:30 for the pregame down in Miami, and 6:10 for the first pitch. I don't know who they would play, but. There's a good weekend series the, the Cubs have with the Cardinals, of course, next year when the, the schedule's already out. That could be the game. That would be huge. Yeah. Do you think it loses luster by doing the Field of Dreams game every year? It could. You know? Like, it, they did the aircraft carrier basketball games. Those were cool. It was cool. Then there was the one where Marquette was playing, and they were just slip-sliding all over the, the aircraft carrier I don't know if I want to see it again. I think it would be neat, but I'm not sure I need to. They played a college football game at Bristol Motor Speedway. If they did that every year, would it be the same? If they played the Field of Dreams game every single year, would it still feel the same? Would the nostalgia... And are they going to... Are they going to roll Kevin Costner out there every, <laughs> every single year? year and bring Kevin Leota? Is he next year's MC? <laughs> you know, you know what I mean. Like, I, it's cool, but do we need to do it every year? Yeah, I, uh, I, I don't. Maybe know. like once every four years or something. Something like that. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. Maybe uh, you know, when, was this the you know maybe do it on a special anniversary or something? Mm-hmm. But the Cubs are the hot rumor because David Ross basically said that we're talking about doing it. Yeah, their manager. So it'll be Cubs next year. White Sox win. Awesome day. Maybe the coolest regular season game in the history of baseball. What other venue would be cool? How about at a Negro League stadium? That would be cool. If there, you know, there's, I think there are five still standing. So if we could find one that could hold, and they can build stands and, and revamp all the, the amenities and whatnot for one game, that would be really neat. You know, people are talking about playing it at the Sandlot. And from the movie The Sandlot, mm-hmm. like, uh, give me a real stadium. Give me, give, me, give me a Negro League stadium. That would be really, really neat. Uh, Switch Gear is going to talk some hoops. Joe Wieskamp, Luca Garza, they are fighting to make their rosters, and both have had really good weeks. We'll talk about both former Hawkeyes and a record-breaking day for Iowa State football yesterday. That is next. This is Wicket's World on 1350 ESPN. From the Bally Bet Sportsbook App Studio, get social features, casino rewards, and exclusive games in one betting app. Thirteen fifty ESPN. All right, so we got about what six minutes, seven minutes here left? Is that what we got, Big Pete? And then you're out of here. Got what, like five minutes. What have you learned in your time here at thirteen fifty? Pete goes back to uh, Mizzou in a matter of days. Mm-hmm. Finishes college career. Your your college eligibility. You're not leaving early to come to thirteen fifty. I I am not. Oh man, I'll be attending my fourth year oh, at Mizzou. So you're a senior. I'm going to be a junior. Going to be a junior. Okay. But Gotcha. I don't know what my mom will do if I just do three years. <laughs> going to force me to go back. What are you going to be when you grow up? Um, I don't w- know. When you get out of Mizzou, like what, are, what is your degree going to be in? Journalism. Okay. Well, that's terrible. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been fun having you here, man. Uh, I, I wish you nothing but the best. And don't forget us when you become a big-time journalist, and maybe you'll come back. Maybe you'll come back here to Des Moines. I know you have family in Iowa, so maybe yep. you'll come back and see us soon. I'll, I'll of course, be back. Um, yeah. Is uh, that a threat? Maybe. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we got about four minutes left, mm-hmm. and I wanted to get to a bunch of stuff here. Joe Wieskamp, Luca Garza having their first weeks in the NBA Summer League. 
Garza is turning heads with the Detroit Pistons. I just put up on the uh, ESPN Des Moines Twitter page. They're calling him Luka Nowitzki. You don't expect this out of Garza, who, by the way, we know he lost all that weight. He really has. Yeah. A one-legged Dirk Nowitzki-esque uh, spin fadeaway. Mm. I've never seen Luka do that. No. Iowa Luka didn't have the agility to do that. No. But Detroit Luka does. He's turning a lot of heads. He had 15 the other night in 16 minutes, and he grabbed like five rebounds at the same time. So Luka is turning heads, has a really good chance to make the roster uh, over there in Detroit. Also, Joe Wieskamp, monster night last night, 17 points, seven boards, two dimes, two blocks, and a steal for the San Antonio Spurs. He's had some up-and-down games, and you, you know, I, I mentioned earlier, stop looking into preseason games when it, talks to, when it comes to starters. Mm-hmm. But when you're seeing guys like Wieskamp and, and Garza, who are putting in efforts to get into the double digits, 15, 17-point range, like that means a lot for that 11th and 12th spot on, on the professional bench. Mm-hmm. So you actually have, you know, these guys aren't starters in the NBA by any stretch, but they're making an impact, and both guys look to be on course to battle for those roster spots, and, and hopefully both will make those roster spots. You just read something to me very interesting from Tim Shepard on, uh, uh, on Twitter. Yes. What is it? Tim Shepard uh, says... Confirmed that OK State, Baylor, Iowa State, and Kansas continue to take steps to try to move to the Big Ten following conference realignment. That's a lot of teams moving to the Big Ten. So Quite a few. What are, okay, so four more? Is that what you read? Oklahoma four, State? Four more. So the Big Ten, which currently has 14. Big 18. Would be the Big 18. Yeah. And then there's got to be two more that want to move in to just do 20. Just make it 20. Have two divisions. Whatever. This is getting ridiculous. It's going to be a huge conference. It is going to be. But this is where we're going to go. The Big 12 is going to be gone, and we're going to have two super con- or four super conferences. We're going to have the Big 10, the SEC, the ACC, which will be the weakest, yeah. and then the Pac-12 will have their West Coast, and a lot of the Big 12 should go there. A lot of the Big 12 will wind up in the Pac-12. It's, it's just so weird. It's, it's so funny because I look back at the way my father, who's in his 70s, the way he used to watch college football. You know, it was you bowl and pole and all the conference, uh, you know, allegiances to the Orange Bowl and the Rose Bowl. There was the Big Eight when I was growing up and all of these things. The Big Ten, I know people aren't going to believe this, you young people. The Big Ten had ten teams in it. What? The Big Ten had ten teams wow. in it a long time ago. Back in, before Penn State came along and ruined it by making it the Big Eleven, there were ten teams in the Big Ten. Believe me, I promise you, that is a thing. 20 years from now, what will college football look like? And, and what will I tell my son, or my daughters, but what will I tell my son that college football was like when they were born in the year 2020? It's very different from 20 years ago and 20 years from now. Yeah. Nuts. Uh, one more note before we get out of here. Did you see the, uh, the big day for Iowa State yesterday? I did not. Iowa State has sold a record number of season tickets. Wow. Per uh, athletic director Jamie Pollard, Iowa State broke its record number of season tickets sold. In a tweet, Pollard said that Iowa State has sold 48,336 season tickets. If they sell the same number of uh, Junior Cyclones Club tickets as they did back in 2019, they will have over 49,000 season tickets. Their capacity is 61.5 up there at Jack Trice. I don't know if that's a program that is ever going to sell out 61.5 every game. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama, but 
that's pretty damn good, and that is a reflection of uh, what Matt Campbell has been able to do down there, up there, in Ames. And we are three weeks from the start of college football season. Three. 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 Count it down. Pete, good luck to you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, don't forget us. Come back and see us. Enjoy the rest of your collegiate career down at Mizzou. My thanks to Ron Kopp. Thanks to you for listening, for watching on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page. We've got ESPN taking you the rest of the way and the Cubs at 530. My name is Mike Wickett. This has been Wickett's World on 1350 ESPN.